So today I'm going to talk to you about a relationship boundary, uh, but first of all, before we get to that particular boundary, I want to talk to you about having boundaries itself. A relationship boundary is like this. We are called to minister to everyone. We should be mature enough believers to where we can minister to any member of our family, whether we like them or don't like them. We should be able to minister to any person on planet earth, whether they believe like us or don't believe like us, whether they live a lifestyle we approve of or not. doesn't matter. We should be kind, respectful, and be able to minister to people. Be able to say, I want you to come to church with me. Be able to say, hey, if you have any questions, you can email me. Be able to say, um, I'd love to take you out to lunch after one Sunday service and talk about the sermon. Whatever you can do to minister and get Jesus somewhere involved, we should be able to do it. However, when it comes to your inner circle, the people closest to you, you must have boundaries. You must have relationship boundaries because the greatest influence in our entire life is the people we choose to associate with. Our brain studies show that our brain is most at its peak. It's being, it's receiving the most amount of energy, the most amount of information whenever we are interacting with people. Who you associate with influences everything you do. It influences the way you spend your money, how you live your life, how you treat people, what you believe, your faith or lack of, all of it by your inner circle. So we must have boundaries. In order to have boundaries, you have to know the difference between judging somebody and knowing somebody's fruit. Judging them or knowing their fruit. Jesus said in Luke 6, 44, persons known by the fruit they produce. So listen, let me give you some examples. If somebody is regularly negative, they're just regularly negative, always talking about how it can't happen, how it's not going to work, and I tell you to marginalize that person, if you say, you know what, this person's negative, you're not judging them. You're not saying they don't deserve good things. You're not saying they're a bad, bad person. and, they're, and you're, you're not to be mean, disrespectful, or rude. But if they are a negative person, that's a fruit they're producing in their life. You're not pronouncing a judgment or sentence upon them. You're just saying, hey, they're negative, and for this season, I need to marginalize them. I need to create space. I'm not always going to answer the phone when they call, on and on. Um, uh, boundaries are like standards. And, and if, you know, wherever you work at, there's standards in the workplace. There's standards in the school. There's standards in church. It's like having a boundary. It doesn't mean I don't like you. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It just means I have a boundary. And this is a line, and I don't want anyone getting in, in, uh, close to my heart in my inner circle if there's yada, yada, whatever the boundary that God puts on your heart. Let me give you some examples here. Our mic singers, we have boundaries for them. Uh, one is that you must be able to sing well and unkey. If someone wants to sing on a microphone at this church and they can't sing well, we're not being mean, we're not being rude, we're not disrespectful, we're not saying, I don't love you, we're just saying, because you don't qualify for the standard that we have for our mic singers, you can't sing on a microphone, you can't sing well, you can't sing on a mic, it's just a boundary. It's not being disrespectful, it's not being rude. The Bible says that a man should not dress like a woman and a woman should not dress like a man. So if Chase came into church this Sunday and he was wearing a dress... After we all got done throwing up, because that would be one ugly woman, after we got done throwing up, I would have to say, Chase, I love you. I'd give him a hug. I would sit with him. He's my friend. I love him. But there's a standard we have for our microphone singers, and I just can't let him sing on a microphone if he's dressed up like a woman. Now, the Bible says God hates strife, hates it. If Chase calls strife that morning, I may still let him sing on a microphone. You say, well, that's not right. How can you choose this verse over this verse? Because I'm the pastor and I get to choose the standards that we have. Doesn't mean I don't love him. Doesn't mean I don't like him. Let me say the same. Let me say it in a way where you're not offended as much. You have standards for people that come into your house. There's boundaries. 
Maybe one of them is you can't smoke in my house. Smoking's not a worse sin than cussing. In fact, the Bible doesn't even say anything about smoking, really. It says your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we can use scriptures like that. However, it's just a standard you have, and you get the right to choose that because it's your house. It's your life. We have to teach our teenagers about boundaries. Here's why. No teenager has ever said, when I get older, I'd like to live in prison for many, many years. No teenager has ever said, "Um, I would love to be addicted to meth and cocaine when I get older. No teenager ever said, when I turn 16 years old, I want to be pregnant. If that wasn't their dreams and desires and goals, then how did it happen? Here's how it happened. They simply allowed the wrong influences into their inner circle. They didn't have boundaries. Maybe they didn't see that their parents had boundaries. For whatever reason, they didn't have boundaries. You get to choose your boundaries. It's between you and God. The point I'm making is this. you got to package yourself for where you're going, not for where you are. you got to package yourself with influences that will help you get to where you want to get to, not for where you are right now. If you package yourself for where you are right now, in 10 years you'll be in the same place. So you got to package yourself for where you want to go. Again, you should be able to minister to anyone, but when Jesus selected his 12 disciples, he prayed all night. And his 12 disciples, some of them cussed, some of them were kind of weird, arrogant, prideful. However, they were willing to leave everything for the sake of Jesus. In other words, no one's perfect, and you're not going to find perfect friends. It's not about finding somebody that doesn't struggle or doesn't battle. We all struggle. We all battle. It's about finding people that are filled with faith and that will sharpen you just as iron sharpens iron. You want sharpeners around you. High-quality iron sharpeners should be around you. But nobody ever says they want these negative things to happen. They want to be addicted to drugs. They just got the wrong people in their life. Now, no adult ever says, I would love to have my heart filled with gossip to the point where I just want to leave my church and get offended at everything that happens. How does it happen? They just simply allow the wrong people to get close to them. The Bible's filled with standards. Um, uh, Proverbs 24, 21 says, don't associate with those who rebel against leaders. In other words, people who always have a problem with uh, authority figures. Proverbs 20, 19, stay away from people that gossip. Proverbs 20, 24, don't hang out with angry people. Now, after you read this, you think, that's it. I got no friends now in Myrtle Beach, at least. I have to move to Charleston or something because that just eliminates everybody that I know. It's not about being popular. It's not about having a lot of friends. It's about having the right ones close to you. And again, we should befriend everyone, be kind and respectful to everybody. But some of you have to learn boundaries in relationships or else you're going to continue down a path with people controlling and manipulating you. You're going to continue down a path of negativity. You're going to continue down a path of of, um, people using you as a crutch and all they want is money from you or all they want is attention and time and there's no change in their life. So you've got to learn boundaries. God told Abraham in Genesis 12 too, he said, Abraham, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you in abundance. Your name's going to be famous. You're going to be a blessing everywhere you go. This is God's dream for all of our life. It was given to the father of our faith, Abraham. However, the verse before this verse tells us what Abraham had to do to get this in his life. There's something he had to accomplish, some seed he had to sow. What was it that Abraham had to do to have this blessing? In the first verse, Genesis 12 verse 1 says, God said, for your own advantage, leave your relatives. Now, right there, some of y'all just heard from God. Right there, that one phrase, 
was enough for y'all to put money in the offering box and leave right now. That's it. You got everything you need. You can text it, tweet it, put it on Facebook. The pastor said I'm supposed to leave my relatives. Leave your father's home and go where I show you. Why would God tell somebody to leave someone they've known their whole life? They've been close to forever. Here's why. Abraham's relatives were a bad influence. They were a bad influence. They, they, didn't, they, they worshiped other things before God. They had idols in their life. They were a bad influence. God knew that where Abraham was planted at the time, it would not permit the growth that God had in store for his future. There are some people in your life today who are not going to be able to go where God wants to take you. And if you're more concerned with the people's feelings than you are what God wants to do in your future, you're going to stay right where you are. You have to plant yourself for where you're going. Surround yourself people for where you're going, not for where you are right now. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 11:8 that Abraham did just like God said and he left. However, he made one giant mistake. He brought with him his nephew Lot. God never said to take Lot with him. Never said to him. Lot represents that one relationship that we just can't say no to. That one person that can give us the weed or the drugs or the sex or whatever it is that we're addicted to. The one phone number we don't want to throw away. The one relative we've never been able to say no to. That one relative that when you see them, you could lose 20 pounds, you could win the Super Bowl, and your child could go to Harvard University, and they'd still have something to disapprove of you and you allow them to rip your breastplate of righteousness off every time you get around them. You just let them talk down to you. You let them tell them all the reasons they don't approve, they don't like you. That one relative that we won't say no to, it's time to say no. That one person that abuses you physically, emotionally, financially, and you just let them continue to do it. Lot represents the one person that we can't leave behind when God says leave them behind. And in Genesis 13, 9, it got so bad, the Bible says that Abram told Lot, we got to separate. We got to separate. Lot loved his nephew enough to separate. He loved him enough to say, listen, I love you so much that if we stay this close, it's going to end bad. I'd rather it be good for us and only see each other on Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'd rather just call you on the phone or email you just once a month, every month or two rather than hang out all the time because I know it's going to end up bad if we stay this close. So they separated out of love. Anybody, y'all aren't bored, right? Y'all are good? I'm not boring you, am I? I feel like I'm boring you, but anyway, I'll bore you for another 20 minutes. I don't care. So here we go. So the relationship boundary that I have for you today is this. The one I want to talk to you about that I think is very important is to watch out for controllers. Watch out for controllers. Controllers are people that put pressure on us to do what they want us to do, make choices they want us to make, act how they want us to act. They're very, very subtle. They can say little manipulative things in sentences to make you feel just guilty enough to do whatever it is they want you to do. Controllers are people that care more about what you can do for them than if you're pleasing God or not. And when it comes to manipulators and controllers... The sooner you break away, the better. But man, when you try to break away from a controller, they will pound you with everything they have. They'll pull out every tool in the toolbox. They'll do whatever it possibly takes to get you to submit to what they want you to do rather than care if you're pleasing God or not. And when it comes to controllers, we're going to have to learn how to please God before we please people. 
Um, if you don't know a controller, or you don't know a manipulator, then let me give you some points on them that you might be able to tell if they're one or not. Number one, they play the victim when they don't get their way. A controller knows how to play the victim card. When they don't get their way, they act like they're emotionally scarred. How could you do this to me? I can't believe you just did. How evil was that of you to hurt me like you did? Or when it comes to playing the victim, they will give you the silent treatment. They're very emotional sometimes, the silent treatment. Or if you're married to them, they'll withhold sex. That's their way of controlling and manipulating you to get you to do what it is they want you to do. Already I feel the tension in the room. Nice. That was great. Okay. <laughs> Reminder for service two to take that sentence out of there. Here we go. <laughs> Some of you husbands are like, I am so glad I came to church today. So glad I made her get up. So glad she forced me to come today. Here we go. They remind people of their weaknesses. They put guilt trips on you. They remind you of your past, how awful it was that you did this in the past. They put guilt trips on you. They always remind you of, um, oh, they use your insecurities. They use your, that's what they do with, with their, when it comes to your weaknesses. The things you're insecure about, your body, your hair, your, a, a, a birthmark, a physical thing, um, your, your intelligence or lack of, or your, the amount of money you make or lack of, the job, whatever. Something you're insecure about, they will use that against you. Controllers, uh, they threaten people. They give ultimatums. They say things like this, I'll leave you if you don't da-da-da-da-da-da. Or they'll say this, um, you'll never succeed without me. You will never make it without me in your life. They'll use fear as a tactic. Um, controllers, they give advice without asking permission. They love to come and tell you what well, God has a word for you, and most of the time, the word is what they want you to do. So funny, when it comes to manipulators, they're so sure that they hear from God for you but they don't believe that you hear from God on your own. So they'll tell you, here's what God's telling Here's a word for you. They give you advice about your children. If you don't burp that child, they're going to get sick. If you don't feed them this, it's not, you're not a good parent. You better start doing this on and on. They give you all these advice, how you should spend your money. You better not buy that car. If I were you, I wouldn't do that. Well, you're not me. Y'all aren't bored yet, right? Some of y'all are like, oh, dear God, what did I walk into today? 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says this, we've been approved and accepted by God, so we don't try to please people, but we please God. You got to stop getting your worth and value from what people think, and you got to care more about what God thinks than what it is people think. There's great freedom when we realize we've been approved and accepted by the creator of the universe. Now, our goal is to serve God and let him change us. Um, if you're here today and you're the manipulator and you like to try to change people and, and make them like you and that kind of thing, if that person that you're trying to control and change and fix and make them do this, whatever it is, if they are in church every Sunday and they actually serve Jesus and serve the body of Christ, shut your mouth because they are in the most perfect position that any person could be in for God to change them. There's no more better position a person, a human being can be in than be a member of a local church who serves Jesus. They're ready. They hear sermons every Sunday. They don't need a sermon from you. They feel disapproval every time you give your sermon at home or what you should do, how you should change. Stop it. They're in church. They're serving God. God might not be ready to change that thing in their life. You're not God for them. Let God decide when he wants to change them, how he wants to change them in their time. Let him change them. Don't, you're, not, you're not God. The controllers, they always think they're God in people's lives. Um, there's a, a fable about this old man who was traveling with a boy and a donkey. And they were traveling on a journey, and they got to the first village, and the man was leading the donkey, 
and the boy was walking behind. And when they got there, these townspeople said that the old man was a fool for not riding the donkey. So to please the townspeople, he climbed on top the donkey's back, and the boy pulled the donkey, and they went on their journey. When they came to the second town, the village people there said the old man was cruel for riding the donkey and making the boy walk. So to please them, he got off the donkey, put the boy on the donkey, and everybody was happy. And they continued on their journey. When they got to the third village, the people there said the child was lazy for making the old man walk and that both of them should ride the donkey. So to please those people, they both got on the donkey and headed on their way. When they got to the fourth village, the townspeople there started screaming cruelty to animals for carrying two human beings on the back of that donkey. The story ends by saying the man was last seen walking down the road carrying the donkey and the boy to the next village. Here's the point. There are people in your life that have good suggestions. They may have godly wisdom. They may be very successful in their area of ministry or business or parenting or whatever it is. However, they did not write the destiny for your life. God did. And as much as we want people to like us and think that we're handsome or pretty or approve of our personality or what we want to do, as much as we want that, we've got to learn that God always comes first. And sometimes these voices from this, um, all of this information and all of this advice and all this wisdom, what it's doing a lot of times is, if you have a very clear relationship with Jesus, what it's doing a lot of times is it's what God's telling you is buried by all of this other advice from your in-laws and your parents and your friends and your co-workers and your Facebook friends, and you, you, you take that voice, that still small voice from God, and it disappears because you're trying to win everybody else's approval. And in a few months, I'm going to teach you exactly, very clearly, how to hear from God. But for those of you that know how to hear from God, it's good to hear from God, and you should have wise counsel that, that backs it up, and the Bible should back it up. But man, some of you get so much information from so many people, you can't hear God anymore. And you're so busy trying to make this person think that you're doing great and like them that you miss out on what God's telling you. In Matthew 16, it says, Jesus made it very clear that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer, scripture up there please, and be killed and on the third day be raised up. Then Peter rebuked him and said, Jesus, you cannot go to Jerusalem. Now I want you to look at this scripture because uh, Peter, he was concerned with Jesus. Everybody say concerned. He loved Jesus. Everybody say love. But he didn't understand the destiny that God had for his son. Peter didn't understand that. So Jesus made it clear. It's so interesting, the Bible says clear. In other words, there was, it wasn't, he didn't stutter. He said, I don't know, I need to ask more people. He said, here's where I know what I should do. I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem, be killed, be raised up. Now, I'm going to read you Jesus' response. But when I do, at the end of the scripture that I'm about to read you, when I get to the period at the very end, I want you to shout at me, a three-letter acronym that our church holds very dear. Okay, get ready. I want you to shout it at me. Three-letter acronym at the end of this scripture. Verse 23. But Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance in my way because you think like men and not God. Arp. That's exactly what Jesus said to Peter. Advice requires... For Peter, you don't understand. You're telling me what you think I should do with my destiny. I've prayed about it. I got God on my side. I know very clearly this is what I'm supposed to do. And you're telling me not to? And Jesus just arped Peter. Now, in life, 
We're all going to have people that think they know better than we do when it comes to our own life. Don't be so addicted to some person's approval that you have to get from them if it's okay if you wear your hair a certain way. It's okay if you wear a certain outfit. It's okay if you take a certain job. It's okay if you go to a certain school. It's okay if you raise your kids a certain way. Stop trying to subtly win somebody's approval who's never going to give you their approval. For those of you that are on the other side of this, and you're the type of person that's always giving advice and always telling somebody what they should do and always trying to subtly change your grown kids or your grown grandkids or whatever it is you're doing, I want to ask you a very serious question. Is anybody even listening to your advice? Like, honestly, have you ever had a grown child that said, you know, Mom, because you kept telling me to wear my seatbelt, because you kept saying it over and over, all because of you, I decided to wear my seatbelt. Has any of your grown kids ever said to you, you know, Dad, because you keep telling me this is how I should spend the money, I'm going to do it, just because you keep saying it over and over and over. Have your friends ever said to you, you know, you keep making that suggestion in my life that I should do this and this, and because you said it, that's why I'm going to do it. Has anybody ever listened to your advice? Ever. Now, if they have, it's because of this. Influence is gained through encouragement, not correction. If you're an encourager, yes, people will listen to you. Here's what I mean. Instead of trying to fix your spouse, change your spouse, make your grown kids do what you want them to do, fix this person and their walk with God to make it look like yours and give them the revelation you have or whatever the case, if you would spend one year encouraging that person, one year without any subtle manipulative phrases, but one year of encouragement, one year of cards, one year of texts, one year of I love you, I think you're great, one year of encouragement, I promise you, after that one year, they will listen to one piece of advice that you have once a year after that. Where's my usher for over here? Hey, Loretta? You can co- are you here for the second service or this service? Second service? You want to wait to the second service or you want to come in now? It's totally up to you. I'm just saying. It gets better if you hear it from the beginning. Okay, I love you. Do I not have an usher over here today? Trisha would be an usher over there. Okay, what was I talking about? I was talking about manipulators, weren't I? Okay. <laughs> oh, encouragement. Okay, encouragement. Okay, listen. So you spend one year encouraging them, and then I promise you, after that one year, anytime you have an advice or correction or suggestion, once a year after that, I bet you they'll listen to it. Let me give you some examples, okay? Um, I have some friends here in church that are successful businessmen and women. Um, one is Ray and Nancy. They're in this service. Another one is Jason and Julia. So Ray and Nancy. Ray is successful in the area of human resources. He taught public speaking. He's all, all kind of things, all, you know, all kind of stuff behind him on that. When they have us over and they take me out to lunch and we do that our thing, you know, God, he, I bet you there's a hundred things that Ray could think of that needs to be changed. I bet you when he comes to church, if he wanted to, he could make a list of a hundred things. They should fix this, change this. Um, John Paul speaks too fast. He's got his points for too, whatever. I'm sure he's got some. However, he has never, ever, ever once made a suggestion or a correction with me. He's only encouraged me, only. Because of that, when I need help in this area, when I need human resources wisdom, when I need um, public speaking questions, guess who I'm going to go to? I'm going to go to Ray. The same thing is true in your life. The people in your life, I bet you they love you. I bet you they, 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 they want to come to you, but they're not going to come to somebody that's always trying to fix them or change them or make them different than how they are right now. That's God's job. 
um, growing up, I had a nana and a grandma. My nana was on my mom's side. My grandma was on my dad's side. When I got my first bike without training wheels, my grandma said, you're going to bust your head on the concrete. Your brain's going to bleed wide open. You're probably going to die if you get hurt. My nana said, honey, just have fun. I love watching you ride your bike. When I bought my second house, it was twice as big as my first little house. My grandma said, you're going to lose it because you're not going to have money to pay for the electric bill. My nana said, honey, if God provided the house, he'll provide the money you need to pay the electric bill. When I started having kids, after my third kid, my grandma said, you're making the biggest mistake you can make. You should never have more than two kids. My nana said, all of your children are going to grow up and be mighty upon this earth. They will all honor God with their life. Now, Growing up, I loved my nana and I loved my grandma, but who do you think I went to more for advice? Who do you think I called more when I needed prayer? Who do you think I shared more intimate things about my life with, my nana or my grandma? My nana! It wasn't because she was wiser. It wasn't because she loved God more. It wasn't because she was more successful. It wasn't because she had more knowledge. It was because she was the encourager in my life. God wants to bring you people who celebrate you, not people who try to change you. Now, if you're here today and you're married, stop trying to change your spouse. Stop trying to make them have your strengths and you have, you know, listen, um, there's two different types of people in the, in the world. I can, I can narrow down everybody in the world between these two categories. There's get to the point people and there's beat around the bush people, okay? If you're a get to the point person, you're most likely married to a beat-around-the-bush person, right? Okay, if you don't know what you are, you're a beat-around-the-bush person. Okay, so here, here we go. Um, <laughs> you should be grateful that your pastor's a get-to-the-point person. Um, a lot of times, the get-to-the-point people want to make the beat-around-the-bush people more like them. They want them to be just as fast, just as decisive, just as productive, but God didn't make that beat-around-the-bush person to be like that get-to-the-point person. Just like that beat-around-the-bush person has more peace in their life. They listen a whole lot better. They love to process things a whole lot longer. Those are gifts from God, and they should not be tried to be changed or manipulated to be like that get-to-the-point person and vice versa. Just remember, whenever it comes to your spouse's weaknesses, it's because of those weaknesses they didn't marry somebody better than you, okay? If they hadn't had those weaknesses, they might have got somebody better than you, but they didn't. They had weaknesses. Praise God for their weaknesses, if they're in church every Sunday, they're already in a place for God to change them. Isaiah 64, 8 says that God's the potter, we are the clay. You're clay, I'm clay. None of us in here are the potter. There was a guy in the Old Testament named Ahab. Um, he did not have one leg, and he was not in the story of Jonah and Moby Dick. So King Ahab, let me tell you about King Ahab. King, that was a great joke that y'all just did not get. That was such a good joke. Do you know how long it took me to think of that? That was such a great joke. Ahab, Moby Dick. <laughs> Millennials. Okay, so <laughs> King Ahab, King Ahab, here's his problem. He wanted to please his wife more than he wanted to please God. He wanted his wife's approval more than he wanted God's approval. His wife was a get-to-the-point person, and he was a beat-around-the-bush person. And in 1 Kings 21, 25, it says, there was no one who was more devoted to doing evil than King Ahab, all at the urging of his wife, Jezebel. If your spouse can stop you from joining a church, from serving God, from coming and being part of a family, if your spouse has that much control over you, you got way bigger problems than you think. 
no person should ever stop you from serving God. Any person we put before God is an idol. And that point's going to be up there right now. Any person before God is an idol. Whenever you get on your day of judgment and you're standing before God on the great white throne of judgment, listen, your spouse is not going to be standing next to you. When God says, how come you didn't join that church or how come you didn't serve me or how come you didn't tithe or whatever it is, you can't say, well, my spouse, I didn't want to hurt their feelings and, you know, they were coming along and they weren't as far as I went. God's going to say, where's your spouse at now? Where's your spouse at now? You're going to put your spouse before God and you think God's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? No. Now, take this in balance, okay? Everybody say balance. There was a lady years ago at a church I worked at when I was playing the piano and she said her husband didn't want to serve God, and she was in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night. She had Bible study Tuesday night. She had choir practice Wednesday night, prayer group Friday night. She went off with her church friends on Saturday, and she never ministered to her husband. You come to church, you serve God on Sunday mornings, and you use that faith to go home and minister to your spouse if they don't come to church. You make your spouse the number one human on planet Earth, but you always put God before them. So take this in balance, please. Also, this sermon on controlling and manipulating, and I'm almost done, but you can't go to work tomorrow when your boss says, come in five minutes early, and you say, that pastor preached a great sermon on manipulating and controlling, and you're not going to control me anymore. I'll get to work when I want to get to work. There's a difference between obeying authority and pleasing people, okay? You obey God by obeying the authority he's put in your life with humans, Okay, so you can't, if you get pulled over for speeding on the way home and the policeman says, don't go too fast, and you say, I can do what I want to do because I heard from God and God told me I can get home as fast as I want to today. God's not going to override your human authority. Gotcha? We good? Just making sure you're good on that because who knows what some people believe. Uh, when God puts people in our life that are supposed to be there, you're not going to have to play up to them. You're not going to have to change your looks for them. You're not going to have to raise your children the way they want you to. When God puts the right people in your life, they will love you no matter what. I read this. 25% of the people that you meet won't like you, and they never will. 25% of the people you meet won't like you, but they could be persuaded to like you. Now, if they can be persuaded to like you, that also means 25% of the people you meet will like you, but they could be persuaded not to like you. And then there's 25% of the people you meet will love you, like you, and stand by you no matter what. Your life will be better when you find that 25% that will love you and stand by you no matter what. The other 75% can kiss my Bible. Here we go. One last story and we're done. There's a young man named Gideon in the Bible, and Gideon, and God told Gideon, he said, listen, I want you to raise up an army and go and defeat the Midianites. There are these three evil armies, the Midianites, they were coming against him, and Gideon was young, and he, he didn't really know what to do, but he said, God said, I'm going to be with you, you're going to do it, it's going to be okay. So he had God backing him up, and so Gideon starts to announce, man, we got to have an army, we got to go defeat this evil army. And um, he got 32,000 thousand people to back him up. Now, how popular would you feel? How good would you feel if you were, let's say, running for office or if you were raising up a, a, some kind of a mission work or something you're doing, and 32,000 people in Myrtle Beach came to your event and supported you? Wouldn't you feel good about yourself? Judges 7-2, God said, Gideon, your army's too big. If I give you the victory, they're going to think they won by themselves and give me no credit. 
Gideon thought that was weird. So God said, Gideon, tell every man who's afraid they can go home. So Gideon said, any of y'all afraid you can leave? Gideon thought maybe five, 600 would leave. Uh, 22,000 people left him that day. 22,000. Now he's down to 10,000. Still feels pretty good about himself. 10,000 is not, it's not 32,000, but it's not, you know, one or two. I mean, he's got 10,000 people. In verse four, the Lord said, Gideon, you still have too many soldiers. Interesting. So God said, Gideon, tell everybody to drink water, okay? Some of the men drink water like human beings. You use their hand. Other men drink water like dogs. God said, um, all the ones that drink like dogs, keep them. All the human ones, you send them home. That day, 31,700 people walked away, and he was left with 300 men. From 32,000 to 300. Here's the point. It's not important how many people we have. What's important is, do you have the right ones? That's what's important. In verse 7, God said, Gideon, I'm going to give you the victory over the Midianites with just 300 men. And he won. There's a book written by a hospice nurse. She spent her entire life serving people in their last few weeks of life, final stages. When she retired, she wrote a book. All through her decades of serving these people, when they had two to eight weeks left to live, she asked them all one question. She said, what was your biggest regret of your life? What's the biggest thing you regret? Out of all these hundreds and hundreds of patients, the number one biggest regret that every person had on their deathbed was this, I wish I had been true to who I was and not just lived to meet the expectations of others. In other words, I wish I had worn my hair the way I wanted to wear my hair. I wish I had bought the car that I wanted to buy. I wish I had come to church even though my spouse didn't want me to. I wish I had given the offering even though I would have made somebody mad. I wish I had served. I wish I had been part of this Bible study. I wish I had helped these people. I wish I had just been who I was supposed to be and did my best to serve God the way he wanted me to and not cared what all these people think. It's going to be so sad if I get to heaven and, 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 and God says, why didn't you fulfill your destiny? And I say, well, you know, I wanted to please my spouse and, you know, I was scared to preach on hell on Easter because I wanted people to like me and I didn't want to talk about tithing in church because people get upset when you talk about money. God, I, didn't, I don't know why I was so confused by all these voices and God's going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about my voice? What about what I told you to do? I believe that today you're going to make a decision in which you say, God, you're the most important voice in my life. I want it to line up with your word. I want, it to, I want to submit it to wise counsel. But God, ultimately, I care more about what you think than I do anybody else in my 